You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany. Welcome to The Social Workers Radio Talk Show. I'm your co-host, Alyssa Lotmore. And today we have Karen Beadle, who is a licensed mental health counselor. Karen is a therapist and mindfulness teacher in private practice in Albany, New York. She's been practicing meditation since 1995. Since 2006, she has been teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction, a highly researched eight-week incentive introduction to mindfulness meditation developed by John Kabat-Zinn. She has taught mindfulness to therapists, graduate students, community groups, and young people in the Capital Region for the past 15 years. She continues to deepen her practice by sitting annual retreats and offering day-long and wilderness mindfulness practice opportunities. Welcome, Karen. Hi there. Good to be here. You know, with everything going on in the world today, finding mindfulness is probably a really, you know, getting ourselves to be able to have self-care and reflect and process everything that's going on. I think this is a really appropriate topic. So can we start off by what exactly is mindfulness? Right. Well, mindfulness by definition is present moment awareness. And in order to be mindfulness, there's also the component of non-judgment. So present moment awareness, non-judgment, and knowing that you're being aware while you're being aware, right? So I'm here, I'm feeling my feet on the ground, I'm hearing the squeak of my chair, I'm sensing the breeze coming in through my window, right? And I'm aware that those are part of my experience while I'm sitting here talking to you. And how does that help us? Can you, how does that being in that present moment, what does that do to our our body, ourselves, our reflection? Yeah, I mean, that's the critical question, right? You know, and, um, When I started practicing mindfulness in 1995, um, it was not a household word. You know, today mindfulness is a household word. I did my graduate program at Lesley University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I commuted 162 miles from Albany, New York to do that program because the SUNY Social Work School did not offer anything in terms of mindfulness. And at Leslie, I was able to connect with people, practitioners, utilizing mindfulness. I wrote most of my papers about mindfulness, um, and I was really able to deepen my understanding of the role of mindfulness in psychotherapy. And it was worth it to me to commute to do that because I came into this field really wanting to offer stability and resilience. Um, And the mental health field so much deals with the qualities of mind. And mindfulness is about being aware of the qualities of mind. So it's a tremendous resource as we, you know, as we've endured this pandemic time in which we're asked to endure conditions that are so much outside of our experience And we're flooded with all kinds of loss, all kinds of uncertainty and unknown. We're being asked to re-envision a new world to come back into. And that capacity to meet our experience is absolutely critical during this time. 
Well, I like how you, you mentioned that social work before, when you were looking at UAlbany years ago, didn't have programs uh, or classes on mindfulness. And I like just to say that that has changed because we do realize how yes. important it is. There are so many of yes. our faculty who make sure that's incorporated into their classes. And we have one professor, uh, Dr. Loretta Piles, who uh, specializes in mindfulness. They do yoga before one of our classes. And it's it's a critical component in that mental health state. You know, how do we get to ourselves to be able to reflect, to be able to care for ourselves? Because it is such an important part of that body, mind, spirit type of relationship. Yeah. And the 25 years since I started practicing has been a profound growth. And, you know, the research in mindfulness is so exciting. And I really appreciate the present moment research that's being done on the brain through PET scans, right? So you can be meditating and researchers can look at what's happening inside your brain while you're meditating. Um, and one of the recent studies shows that minutes of meditation drop your cortisol level, improve your respiration and your heart rate. You know, so when I started teaching my mindfulness-based stress reduction program in 2006, our practices involved 40 minutes of practice. So people signing on for that eight-week program were doing 40 minutes of practice a day. Um, and, you know, in recent years, I could walk into my mindfulness class and say, after 10 minutes, your body has settled in significant ways that we can measure, right? Yes. You know, and the other thing that we've learned from PET scans is that the areas of the brain that are impacted are the areas of the brain that are involved in cognition, right? And also in relaxation. So mindfulness is really the only activity that stimulates cognition and at the same time um, enhances the parasympathetic nervous system that's actually relaxing the body. So right in sleep, we have lowered cognition and more parasympathetic. And in our daily lives, we have a lot of you know, cognitive capacity, but not a lot of parasympathetic energy. Most of our daytime energy is driven by adrenaline. So to be able to create a space that we can exist in that is simultaneously allowing us to be cognitively alert and, and soothed by the hormones of stress relaxation is so important. Now, tell us a little, me a little bit about your practice, what you have right now. How do you work with clients as they come in? Is this something that I, if I was interested in this, could I learn on my own? Or how does it help going to someone who is trained in this help as you begin this process? Yeah. Well, let's start with Governor Cuomo. He's connected with Headspace, right? Headspace is a really common meditation app. And now people can sign on for Headspace New York, which offers free short meditations um, and guided um, meditations for how to really begin a practice, you know, how to begin to think about what are you trying to do with your mind when you're meditating? Because I think most people think that meditation is about repression, right? So Karen's going to sit down and she's going to meditate and she's going to try to try to stop everything that's going on. She's going to try to stop her thoughts. She's going to try to make it peaceful in there. You know, so I think people really have a lot of confusion about what meditation is, right? So meditation is about orienting ourselves to what is, right? So when I sit down to meditate, 
I'm not trying to stop what's going on. I'm trying to come into relationship with what's going on. So Karen, you were talking about some really important areas of mindfulness and the importance of it and how it's connected and what you do in your practice. So when you're, you're going to be giving an upcoming workshop here at the UAlbany School of Social Welfare, another way to bring more people into understanding mindfulness and what it is by through workshops through the continuing education program. And it's titled Meditation and Psychotherapy, Cultivating Stability and Restoration. The workshop will be held uh, this Friday on June 12th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. via Zoom. But we are also, for those who might not be able to attend or who are listening to this at a later date, tell me a little bit about this workshop and what we can expect during a, a type of day-long session for as we're exploring mindfulness. Great. Well, it's really important to me to support people in stepping into practices, right? So the morning is going to be focused on learning mindfulness practices. So we're going to start out doing a body scan. We're going to move into doing some sitting meditation practice. And meditation historically has always been taught through the meditation practices themselves. When I first learned about meditation, I learned it by doing it. And um, one of the things about meditation being so widespread in the culture right now is you can have this sense that you really understand meditation practice and you've never actually had the experience of meditating, right? So what happens when you actually sit down and come into direct relationship with your experience is it's kind of like stopping a moving train, right? All of a sudden, all that energy of moving forward is still happening in your body, and yet there you are not moving forward physically, right? And you just start to feel a lot, right? And one of the things that propels our onward motion so much is that sort of phenomena that we're always like ahead of where we want to be moving really quickly all the time to not be where we are, right? So, and that's true with clinicians. That's true with everybody, right? And in the 15 years that I've taught the MBSR class, the pace of culture has stepped up tremendously. People now have cell phones, people are working with their email 24 hours a day, right? All of that's happened during the time that I've taught mindfulness. And I've been teaching in Ron Tozen's class, um, his clinical skills class um, for about five or six years. And when I go into the class as a provider in the community, the first question I have them look at is how do they see that the culture is speeding up? For example, in their own lives and in the lives of young people. And everybody has something to say about how they sense that the culture is speeding up. Like what would you say for yourself about what you've noticed about the pace of life in these recent years? Well, I mean, it, it's completely different. And even having a, I have a seven-year-old and even the things that she's talking about now and, and what she's doing, I'm like, this is so different even to me because that transition of the level of technology she has and the, the thing, the expectations even of children at this age yeah. uh, to be sort of connected and to sort of know how to do these. And you're sort of, it's sort of forced screen time and forced to be able to be able to be in this digital society that's everything is instant gratification or you know things. 
So that leads me to another question, and you can finish your thought if you had anything else to add, but how does mindfulness work with children? If I am interested in learning how to help my daughter process everything and be more in the moment, does this, is there strategies with working with children as well? Yeah, and I think that's really a perfect connector to the question of therapists, right? Because therapists work with clients, and the idea is, how can we help our clients be more mindful? Parents want to know how to help their children be more mindful. I started practicing in 1995 when I had a three-year-old. And so her entire childhood after that was a childhood in which I was practicing and really seeking to create a sense of balance in myself, right? And I feel that hugely impacted my parenting. You know, I would have been more overwhelmed, less capable of actually seeing what she was asking me, noticing what her developmental stages were when they were happening. All of those things came into relationship for me because I was practicing. And the year that she was a senior in high school, I really did a year-long practice around watching the changes that happened as she moved toward leaving home. You know, and all of that was because I really wanted to be there. I didn't want to miss the last time her name was called and she ran out onto the basketball court. You know, that's a moment that I was there for, you know. So as a therapist and as a parent, we really long to be there and not miss the moments in a childhood or in a, in a therapist-client relationship that are really meaningful, right? So how do we not miss moments? We, we learn to not miss moments by training to meet our experience. And our experience isn't always fantastic, right? So when we step into meditation, we're not going into ethereal realms in which everything is buzzing with a frequency of, of, of harmony. We're actually stepping more deeply into our lives so that we're seeing our anxious child kind of being off balance. And we're having a knowing, you know what? I think we need to pause here and come back to another place where we can kind of reestablish ourselves. And sometimes that means you hand them a snack. And sometimes that means, you know, say, honey, you know what? Let, come over here and sit with me for a minute. You know, there are all kinds of ways that you can stabilize and rebalance. But as parents and busy clinicians, we don't stabilize and rebalance because we don't know we're out of balance. And a mindfulness practice helps us to see in the moment when we're there and when we're not there. And when you're with your child and she's kind of, you know, not in her best place and you are not in your best place, you don't have a whole lot of chance of coming back into balance unless you can bring yourself back into balance. So from the parent point of view and the therapist point of view, we have to come back into our own state of stability and wakefulness, right? So that we can see what's happening in front of us because our innate wisdom is available when we're there, yeah. right? So, so mindfulness is a supportive tool for our innate wakefulness and clarity and wisdom because we have access to those things when we slow down and pause and come back to the present moment. Now, do you see mindfulness being incorporated more into K through 12 schools? 
Yeah, I mean, mindfulness is being incorporated hugely into K through 12 schools. Uh, there's a mindful schools program. There's all kinds of research with children about compassion and empathy as a result of mindfulness. So um, fantastic resources, fantastic res uh, research on the topic. Um, I haven't become a specialist in um, work with children, although I have done some mindfulness classes to ch uh, for children and I see children in my practice. So I'm always relating to them from that space and bringing them into that space, right? So I did this class for nine to 12 year olds. It was um, kind of a therapy group, um, but it was on mindfulness. And I wasn't sure how long they were gonna be comfortable meditating, you know, or how much meditation we were actually going to do. We did a lot of mindful movement. We did a lot of mindful um, art, contemplative art projects together. But every time we got together, we sat. And in the beginning, we sat for two or three minutes. And so at the end of our group, we were gonna invite the parents in. And I'm like, okay, so how long would you like to sit for for our final group? And they all decided that they could sit for eight minutes. So somebody rang the beginning bell, somebody rang the ending bell. We had all the parents there and we sat for eight minutes and it was the parents that were restless. Okay. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh. Yeah. So, so the important thing about children is that they're wired to be in the present moment. They are, they are. And it's, even at this time as I've been you know, homeschooling uh, these past few months, I can see the difference between how my child's responding and how I'm responding. And sometimes it's her that sort of gets me back in my zone of like, okay, where am I right now? They, they do it. They have so much insight. And sometimes they can bring that reason in, in that chaos as to like, okay, here's where I am. Here's my place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and my daughter was not a student of meditation. She was an athlete, you know, and when I looked for how I saw her contemplative practice, it would be in that moment where she would settle herself before her three point shot, mm -hmm. you know, and it was more likely to go in because she stopped and paused and knew that it was the stillness that was going to create the arc she needed. Yeah. You know, so, so having contemplative practices and mindfulness practices does not mean that you're going to become a particular kind of person. I mean, I sit long retreats. I do contemplative paddling all the time in my kayak. I would say that my kayak has been the hugest support for me during this pandemic, you know, but that's just me. There are all, way, all kinds of ways that you can be yourself and still utilize the wisdom that comes when you know how to find a still point in your day. That's, and I'll have to talk to you a little bit, maybe after the interview, I just bought a kayak. So I am all look, looking, <laughs> definitely looking for other ways to incorporate mindfulness while I'm out there. So I'll have to, I'll have to chat with you on some pointers for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you were talking a bit about my wilderness practice Yes. and my most effective wilderness practice that I did were days of mindful paddling. And so I could only like take about 10 people out. 
but we would spend a day in which we would do paddling practice and then we would pull over and we would do sitting and walking meditation in the woods. We'd have a mindful lunch and then we'd go out to do another um, stint of paddling in which people were just paddling individually on their own, connecting with what they were um, finding in the natural world that was feeding them. Um, and then we would come back at the end for a final sit. And those were really popular offerings because it's such a unique kind of restoration that you get being outdoors, that you get um, connecting with the wilderness, and that you get by being related to the water, right? So there's nothing about a day of mindful paddling that isn't restorative. Now, because we're running out of time, but for those, but this seems really interesting, and especially that paddling uh, mindfulness wilderness uh, session that you were talking about. So if people can't make this training, what are other ways that we can stay connected with you or the resources? What are some uh, opportunities for us to find out how to be a part of some of these wilderness mindfulness practice groups or some of your other workshops? Yeah, I invite people to connect with me. Um, I'm really easy to find on the internet. If you Google Karen Beadle, uh, or Karen Beetle Mindfulness, um, you will be able to get connected to my email and my um, phone number. So I'm really happy to connect with anyone. I, I'm going to continue to be offering CEUs for therapists um, on various aspects of mindfulness. Um, I'm working with Loretta Piles. She and I are connected in terms of thinking about how do we want to offer support to clinicians in terms of restorative practices? So um, look to more offerings in the future for therapists uh, related to mindfulness. If you're just interested in sort of dipping your toe in the water in terms of your own mindfulness practice, I think Headspace is not a bad app for just, they offer you 10 days with 10 minutes you know, and 10 minutes of just some intentionality around coming back to the anchor of the breath or the sense of the body sitting here in the moment is really helpful for your day. And it does uh, kind of snowball in the sense that you start finding other small patches of quiet, you know, and that's ultimately what we're going to be doing. It's kind of like linking up natural areas to form a corridor, right? That we're going to have that sense when we're holding our cup of coffee in the moment and just looking out at the backyard that we're there. And then maybe we're going to do, you know, 10 minutes of practice sometime in the middle of the day. And then when we, you know, connect with our daughter after she's finished her assignment, just feeling a sense of what it's like to be together, you know, so that's really how mindfulness works as you're developing a practice is that you're going to string together mindful moments and you're going to be starting to create intentionality around the value of settling down and, you know, really being aligned because mindfulness is about aligning yourself with yourself in the moment. And we become so disparate in a day. Like we have nine selves doing nine different things and gathering everybody together is a lot like sitting down for dinner, you know, with your family. We really need that time to, to come back together and just feel um, the stability that's actually really there for us to feel. 
Well, I want to thank you so much. Uh, for our listeners, again, we were with Karen Beadle today, who's a licensed mental health counselor, and she specializes in mindfulness. And this was a great segment, Karen, especially with everything going on. Things have just seemed so out of whack the last few months of you know, what's going on in the world and that ripple effect on everyone's lives individually. And it's sort of how do we come back to be able to find that place with so much unknown, so much uncertainty to just be in that moment and be okay in the sense for ourselves, our mental health, where we are. So I want to thank you for coming on and talking a little bit about this today. You're welcome. It's great to be here. And thank you so much for listening to the Social Workers Radio Talk Show. You can always find us on social media at our handle at Social Workers FM. Visit our website on Simplecast to find all past episodes of our shows. Our website is www.thesocialworkersradiotalkshow.simplecast.fm. Be sure to tune in to multiple new episodes that will be out this week. You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany.